Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host Titus and today I am joined again by my friend John Presnell to conclude our thoughts on the Godfather trilogy. This is a great occasion because we will get to defend Godfather Part 3 as a great tragic conclusion and as a masterpiece of American cinema. John, thanks for joining me again and tell our audience what we're doing here. Well, it's great to be here again, Titus, and we are now concluding our discussion of The Godfather. I think a necessary conclusion. The third movie, it's much criticized for a number of reasons, and I think to a certain extent unfairly so. And it surely, I think, is so far as we're interested in the character of Michael, he's the central character that carries through the three movies. We have to see this through to its conclusion, its tragic end, as you say. So it's necessary, and it's very well done. It's a different movie. Coppola coming at this 15, 20 years after The Godfather Part Two, and of course the story takes up about 15, 20 years after the conclusion of Part Two. thought of this as an epilogue as The Godfather's Part One and Two were their own story, yet it's a necessary epilogue, and so I'm glad he did it, despite all the criticisms. And so let's start from the destiny of the American family and the American ambition and the three generations we get to see of the Corleone family. You read to me this great quote, such an inspired choice by John Adams. Yeah, so as I was watching the trilogy, this quote kept coming to my mind, especially as I got into the third. John Adams famously says, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give to their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. And so here we have an American family dynasty, and of course we have the Corleone family dynasty. And it was with the third movie in particular where this quote came into my mind because of the prevalence of music. Anthony, the son of Michael, wants to quit law school, does not want to work in the family business, instead wants to become an opera singer. And not only that, but just the role of music within this third part. We have a different America here, we have a different family, and we surely have moved from this politics and war that John Adams studied, and then John Quincy Adams with naval architecture, but also mathematics and philosophy. And now we are with more beautiful things. There's a rejection of that first generation and a perhaps dangerous forgetfulness of that first generation. Yes, if memory serves, the John Adams quote is from a letter to his very astute wife, Abigail, who was his confidant and to an extent conscience throughout the revolution, of course, and later. You can see how it's endearing about the family to be able, by hard labor, to earn a certain prosperity and comfort for future generations who can pursue less violent or dangerous and more sophisticated studies. Of course, as the historian Richard Brockheiser says, this is not true of the Adams family. You're either going to the White House or you could tell it to the bartender. A yeah, bunch that's... of them went drunkard, suicide. It was a very troubling way to raise children maybe with such high hopes, high principles, high expectations that maybe they can't live up to. Just like we see that the children of the Corleone family can't really live up to the expectations placed on them. If you get to that fourth generation, you have Vito, and then you have Michael, and then Vincent in the third, but also Michael's children, so Anthony and Mary, and with the Adams family. I do think of the fourth generation, Henry Adams, and his education, where basically all of this was a big bust and a waste of time and a swindle, and you verge on the precipice of nihilism. So it did your great success in turning towards more sophisticated and beautiful pursuits 
Beyond that, what for? When you no longer have politics and war, what do you have to write poetry about? It's good that this trilogy concluded where it did. Yes, happily, Coppola and circumstances could stop the studio from turning the Godfather into endless potboiler scenarios that have no importance. And you're right, there is, a, again, as we have tried to show before, a parallel between the history of America and the history of the Corleone family. And at some point, the great subjects, the terrible dangers, the civil war, the extraordinary expansion, they reach an ending success leaves you without these kinds of stories to tell there is nothing else that could fit into a tragedy it's not Mm -hmm. that other stories aren't worth telling but they do not fit this pattern and this template anymore and do not have this tremendous scope and tremendous moral importance and we pick up with the last scene of godfather part two an aged lonely michael corleone staring out his window from his office in lake tahoe on the waters he's alone and he can only be contemplating things he lost We start Godfather Part 3 with Al Pacino, filmed in 1990, already past his middle age. He plays Michael Corleone in 79, an old man without much left to him. For the first time, he has to try to write a letter to get a hold of his family. (laughs) Every artifice you could use to emphasize his loneliness, and in that sense, his failure, having put family in the center of his concerns. He's inviting his family to a charity event where he's supposed to be honored by the Roman Catholic Church. That's right. His family is now like uh, some political family is merely there for show. They wouldn't be caught within miles of each other, but they put on a show for the sake of the public. We see both the continuity with Godfather Part Two and the dangers where this heads. As you pointed out, if you end up with a fourth generation Adams man who is very talented, but who never really achieves anything, doesn't do much for his country either, and ends up mm-hmm. loathing the legacy of American greatness and the expectations it creates, yeah, that's pretty terrible. Maybe yes. you would need an end and a restart. An end to Michael yeah. Corleone and a restart with another one. Like you mentioned Vincent, played mm-hmm. by Andy Garcia in Godfather Part Three. So the new movie opens with Michael Corleone putting on a show so that he can be honored. And it turns out, as always, he's calculating. He has deeper pursuits underneath the surface. But at the same time, it shows that he's part of America's aristocracy, the rich people. And how can they be aristocrats, patrons of clients in a country of equality and meritocracy? Charity. That's where the moneyed people get to look down on the rest and be honored for their superior contributions. There's an insight Puzo and Coppola have reserved for the third movie. That's right. That was a good point of Michael's letter to his children, asking them to attend this ceremony where he's going to be bestowed the Order of St. Sebastian given to him by the Archbishop of New York based upon all of his charitable giving. You wonder, in that letter, his attempt at manipulation, rather, with his children when he tells them that children are one's greatest treasure. And yet, if we look at the end of Godfather Part Two, he has lost that treasure and he's lost his entire family. So in the interim, he obviously acquired even a much greater amount of wealth. He hasn't expanded. He's kind of gone up. So he's told, it's been many years since I've left Nevada. We see the old Nevada and Tahoe, and it's in tatters. Now he's living in a high-rise 
would imagine, penthouse apartment on Fifth Avenue in New York. He obviously, he's acquired a great amount of wealth and he's extricated as much as he can his connections. He's sold off and now he has just cash and a lot of it. That cash is the basis to buy his respectability and buying that respectability means to get his family back. But to a certain extent, also at the beginning of the movie, to me, it seems anyway, I've changed Michael. He's more jocular. After the ceremony in the church, we have the party, and you always seem to begin with a party in the Godfather movies. This is the reception after receiving this honor. He's laughing. Johnny Fontaine is brought back, and he's going to sing a special song for Michael. And Michael, though, of course, he's still the old Michael. He has to go conduct business. And Johnny Fontaine says, don't leave. And he says, no, 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 that's okay. I've heard it before. I've got old Tony Bennett records. And of course, everybody gets a big laugh out of this. Surely by the end of Godfather Part Two, this is not a man with a sense of humor. Pacino, at least in that brief glimmer, shows that he has a certain degree of lightness and humor in him compared to his just degrading solitude at the end of Part Two. Yes, you're right. Pacino himself changed. His performance in the first Godfather was lackluster at best. In Godfather Part 2 he does much better because he has to portray the conflicting murderous anger against his own family and on the other hand that cold calculated look. In Godfather Part 3 he does again an Oscar worthy Michael Corleone but in a very different mood. As you point out Pacino is older and his new histrionic persona for Hollywood plays very well here. He is wizened up. He plays with his interlocutors. He's far chattier and in certain ways more intimate. He lets you see more of himself. He has more of passion and this fits well with his old age. He's not as much a man of action anymore and as you pointed out his action explains why we don't see what happened to Michael Corleone for 20 years. He turned businessman. He turned moneymaker. He's got a billion dollars or next to it to show for it, which is nothing to sneeze at, but apparently it's not worth making a movie about. That's interesting. And we also see that in his loneliness, he has only his daughter for a consolation. And this has also helped certain ways to humanize him. What has changed about Michael is facing up to his failures. Part of what he's doing, buying respectability, the church's seal of approval and all that, is a rearguard action. He's trying to cover up for his weaknesses and his old age and, of course, impending death. Yeah, that's right. So part of this giving is an attempt in a context of 1979 America. He is redeeming his father's legacy, too. The source of all of this money is he's gone into the nonprofit or the foundation charitable business with the Vito Andolini Corleone Foundation, which we know gives money to charitable organizations, to hospitals. Later on, Michael will suffer from a diabetic attack, and he's in the Vito Corleone wing of the hospital. We see Michael talking to a black politician from New York who thanks him for giving money for the swimming pool for the boys club. And then, of course, his daughter, Mary, the public persona and head of this foundation, Foundation gives a speech. Its intention is to give money for charitable organizations, for the arts, for the good of the people, and in particular for the people of Sicily. Think of Vito Andolini Corleone's name on this billion-dollar charitable foundation. It's quite a shock. And yet the question with Michael in this movie is, obviously, the killing Fredo is something that will play out throughout this movie and its repercussions, and how much does this burden Michael but the entire past and this new financial wealth that he has as he's extricated himself from the older family business and even its legitimate ones of earning millions of dollars, this money now can be used to reunite his family and to try to redeem that past 
and present a new light on it in the present and make it look as if it was always done for charity. This was love, free giving, for the good of the community. And like I said, always Sicily. And that's where this movie heads towards, is Sicily. Yes, we will get to the theme of how Michael is more and more obsessed with the old world and tends back towards it, he who was supposed to be the champion of the new world. But for now, you're right that he's again trying to play the American story. One generation makes the money, and afterwards somebody has to start a foundation to give to charity and to be public-spirited in some way to justify the rampant inequality of such success. There's a Carnegie Foundation, there are in fact a bunch, or a Ford Foundation, or any number of other ones. It's the American story, and Michael is still trying to be part of it. He's not given up on that. You're right. It's also to do with his father specifically, both in the sense of trying to ennoble him in an American way beyond what could be plausibly done, but also in a personal way. His father is really all that's left of family because he was the only one who kept the family together. The death of Don Vito was the signal for the destruction of the family. Now he's a symbol and nothing else, and he is an object of filial piety. Michael is still calculating, still working things out. He's still very much a man alive and at work, but he's somehow obsessed with death. He's polishing his father's mausoleum. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out, he has returned to New York. He's, as you said, gotten incredibly rich in gambling. And like he's trying to bribe America to give him respectability. He's trying to bribe the families of mafiosos to let him go. His charity is also a way to extricate from his criminal past, just like his polishing of his father's reputation. And we Mm -hmm. see here something strange that had never been the case before with the Corleones. Michael cuts checks literally to all the families in a casino. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. The Corleones had never bribed anybody before. No, they were the exactly. ones receiving the bribes. Right. I guess there's a precursor to a certain extent to the charitable giving. Tony's first communion party where Michael has a check for the charitable organization in Nevada. But the difference between that and the cutting of the checks with the families is this is his attempt to get out, as he says. Yet we see at the very beginning, St. Patrick's Cathedral, where the medals being bestowed upon him and this very solemn service. Yet the camera lets us know that this character, Joey Zaza, has arrived with his sideman, the ant. So we know something is afoot. And of course, that just carries through through the reception. So what at least on the surface appears that Maybe we have a really changed man here, but perhaps rather we have one who is, once again, just transmogrifying the old mode into this new context. He realizes also his limits, so he has to look backwards, and he knows he's alienated from his family, and so this needs to be carried on as well, and so we're also introduced to the character of Vincent. Yes, we see again somebody you have to compare with the young Michael, with the young Vito himself. The third godfather has a third variation of this Italian-American man who has shocking ambitions that go way beyond what you would expect or what anybody else would do. Vincent is introduced first as a vulgar Corleone, a distant one. He's a bastard of Sonny, the first of the sons who die. He seems to have inherited his father's temper. He's flirting with the waitresses, making eyes at anybody... The Corleones have in certain ways changed, just like the mood of the film has changed. There's way more eroticism in this movie, just like you pointed out, way more music. As John Adams prophesied, there's far less of war and politics in future generations. (laughs) Things have stabilized in many ways. 
not in legal and moral ways maybe, but that's perhaps not the essential criterion. So Vincent has to come into conflict with Joe Zaza. The question is who will inherit the domains, the ancient domains at this point, you could say, of the Corleone family. The people of the neighborhood like Corleone. He is a prince of the blood, you could almost say. <laughs> they don't like Joe Zaza because he's breaking up the old ways of the neighborhood. He's neglectful. And so he's this sets up a conflict. He, yeah, Joe Zaza let it fall apart, at least from the older point of view. He hires Hispanics. He hires blacks. He's selling drugs. There's a scene later where Vincent is in the neighborhood. He's still living in that neighborhood, kind of working for Joey Zaza. And the older women, one of whom happens to be Martin Scorsese's mother, tell him this neighborhood's going to hell. And so at that beginning, you would think the progression would go from Michael to Anthony. And yet this character Vincent comes in. Yeah, the children of Michael Corleone have none of his virtues and want to have none of his vices either. Mm -hmm. His daughter is shockingly innocent, even though she's the puppet head of a big corporation for charity. And his son wants to be an opera singer, which although an upper class habit, you could say, has certainly nothing to do with furthering the family reputation. Mm -hmm. He is going in it for himself alone. Maybe Michael needs some young man of the blood who is Corleone in the old sense. Vincent doesn't even have the Corleone name. He was a bastard of Sonny's. He has He's to a learn Mancini. it and have it bestowed. Exactly. He's a Mancini. And at the same time, he's way more Corleone than any of the children of Michael are. There is a natural attraction there, but as with the Corleones, rule always comes in times of trouble. As you pointed out, people want him to take over the neighborhood, to bring back the old ways, which do include racism. This is for Italians, not for other people. Mm -hmm. Vincent is a man, therefore, who recalls people of the old times. Mm -hmm. People keep talking about his father. He was the Prince of New York. He was great. That's right. The prince and of he the enjoys city. that you reputation. Know, it's great. The first scene we have of Vincent, he shows up at the reception and he says, Mancini. And they look at the list of names and it's not there. And so he's just going to bust his way in. So Michael has attempted to make this distinction between that old way, which now is Joe Zaza, and he's up in his penthouse apartment, and <clears throat> Vincent has just got to bust in there. And that's something that the older Corleone, Shirley Sonny, would have done. That old spirit's coming back. He's no respecter of respectability, Vincent. That's right. In his leather jacket. Michael even comments, you dressed for the occasion. <laughs> yeah. Vincent, he knows he's an outcast in the family. He said, if I thought I'd be in the family pictures, I'd have put on a better suit. His relationship yeah. <laughs> to the family is only his aunt, Connie. And his introduction into the family comes by blood and death threats. Joey Zaza, the gangster who inherited through the families the Corleone business, wants to kill him because he's a nuisance. Michael Corleone can't let that happen, actually. But, yeah. you know, why not? Vincent, if he's going to save his life to say nothing of acquiring or inheriting anything, has to earn it. And so he does the Sicilian thing, tries to bite the guy's ear off. Yes, yes. That's the first blood we see in this movie. And yes. he says, what did you expect? You put me in a room with Joey Zaza, of course I'm going to bite his ear off. Yes. He's a man of action. He's not shameful. That's the trigger for the mafia conflict in this story. That's there right. are dark things afoot. We see that beyond his personal problems with his family and his father, and beyond his perpetual search for respectability, Michael is trying to get out of the mafia because it keeps threatening his life. Vincent is for him both a personal successor, a bit more of that Corleone magic. He mm -hmm. is also a lightning rod. He'll take on a lot of the dangers that would come to Michael otherwise. 
it's not mere altruism or family love. It never is with Michael. That's and right. What would Michael be able to do with regard to these threats at this point? I guess his henchman at this point is really more of an MC and PR guy, I forget his name, who runs that press conference. He doesn't have any muscle anymore. And so if Vincent has to bust in, Michael sees something here that perhaps he can work with because his son has just said, no, he's going to drop out of law school and go become this opera singer. At that point, the biting of the ear, Michael sees something there that perhaps this is useful. And so we get to think about who this character is, Vincent Mancini, who is to become Corleone and the Dawn, played by Andy Garcia. He starts in strange ways similar to Michael Corleone in Godfather Part 1. He comes to the party, but he's eccentric. He's mm -hmm. not exactly of the family. Michael in his youth didn't want to be part of the family. He would tell terrible stories about his family to his fiancée, Kay, just to show that that's their problem. He's not that. He was eccentric there. This guy is an eccentric not by choice. He's an outcast. He's trying to work his way in, not out. Just mm -hmm. like the family was dangerous then and is respectable now. All these changes have occurred. But he's much like that guy, and much like him, he falls for a blonde uh, American girl. That's right. Yeah. And uh, she's a Who reporter. An obvious parallel, and I don't fault it. The photographer, Bridget Fonda's character, she quotes almost verbatim Kay when she looks at Joey Zasa's henchman, the aunt, and says, Who is that scary-looking guy there? Just as Kay had asked Michael. We have a similar dynamic here. Michael at Connie's wedding and now Vincent at this reception. The Godfather trilogy is full of structural parallels and inversions to try to teach you where different characters stand to one another and where different political situations or psychological situations are similar and where they are different. And so we get our first clues as to how close Michael and Vincent really are, even though the one is old and cagey and the other one is young and as bloody-minded as his father was. Then we get to see that Vincent is capable of cold-blooded murder. He has assassins yeah. in his house while he's in bed with this reporter lady. She's going around in his leather jacket as a female possession of this desirable man. And somebody puts a knife to her throat. And there's another gunman there. And Vincent, with the old Corleone skills, takes control of one of these would-be assassins. And he has to get the other one not to kill the woman. He says, you know, kill her, I don't care. And if that doesn't work, he says, okay, let me show you something. Don't do anything, don't go crazy, just let me show you something. And he shoots one of the assassins in the head. That just shows how Machiavellian the Corleones are. And this one really has inherited. It's not in the blood, but it is in the family. And so we have Vincent murdering one of his would-be murderers to make a point. And then when he gets what he wants, information that Joe Zaza sent these guys to get him, from the other one he offs him as well, and this woman is stunned. And that love story just disappears. I remember, John, you told me, I wanted to see more of Bridget Fonda. What's happening here, it seems interesting, but it disappears. Because yeah. unlike Michael with Kate, there's no future here. He just murdered two people in front of her, whereas Michael was all about hiding everything from his blonde American girl. That's right. Well, remember at Connie's wedding in part one, the photographers as well, as the FBI are kept on the outside. Here we have an inversion of that. Now the photographers are on the inside to photograph this great honor, and that's what she is. She's just some girl that he picked up at the party. That's where you get to this scene. You don't see in any of the other movies a bedroom scene. And so here we have Vincent in his you know underclothes, takes these two guys out and does it in a very spectacular way. 
So there's a great deal of cunning in this brutality. He knows the effect brutality has on people and uses it to effect his own purposes. He's Dan Machiavellian. He knows that you have to stupefy and satisfy people. <laughs> That's right. And uh, make examples. And you see that he's not just a violent guy. He's as calculated in his violence as Michael is. He's just not as well rehearsed. The next parallel is that, like Michael in the convalescence of his father, Vito plotted and executed the murder of Solozzo, uh, cold blood, when nobody else, not even hot-blooded Sonny, wanted to do it. So also our new man, Vincent, when, as you pointed out, Michael Corleone is debilitated by a diabetic attack, he mm -hmm. plots and executes the murder of Joey Zaza, of course with much more panache, in the middle of a parade, disguised right. as a mounted officer. Even riding horseback. a horse. <laughs> a bit of the old cowboy spirit. And yeah. uh, well, you, you know, see, he takes action. You know, that's right. Michael, when he hears of this, says, don't do this without consulting me. You can't do this. But on the other hand, it just bends there and thinks he made the right decision and did it in the right way. At that opening reception scene, we're also introduced to another character, Eli Wallach's Don Altobello, part of the father's generation. And he's there to honor Michael, but also to honor his father. And he seems to be this old, weak, innocuous character. But Joey Zaza and Don Atabello and these kind of schemes are going to be part of what draws Michael down from his heights back into this criminal world. Yes. So a couple of things happen together to bring out what the danger to Michael Corleone and his family is. Joey Zaza has most of the families executed because they take the bribes of Michael yes. Corleone to let him get out. And then Joey Zaza is himself executed by Vincent, who sees the obvious threat, but unlike Michael, can't think about invisible threats. And as Michael is trying to figure out who is the real yes. man holding the strings, not the hand that pulls the trigger, but the eye that guides it. Donaldo Bello turns out to be part of this conspiracy. There's a lot of yes. danger Michael is facing, and he needs Vincent because he's fighting a two-front war. He's trying to keep the mafia at bay and get out, while trying to get in with the College of Cardinals, the papacy, and the Bank of Vatican <laughs> specifically, so that he can do business in the old world. Even in his desperation to get out while he's old but still alive, Michael is still thinking that legitimacy should be power, so he's trying to conquer the old world. Now, that's mm -hmm. an American ambition, and it's certainly of grand scale, mm -hmm. and this forces Michael to get back to Europe, which has never worked out well for the Corleones, but they cannot help it. Some Sicily is always in their blood. That's and right. Michael's plan here, there's the wealthiest real estate corporation in the world, $6 billion worth of wealth, of which the Vatican has large investments, and Michael wants to buy those out. Once again, he's turning towards the old world, but I do like the analogy if you think of frontiers. New York to the West, to Cuba, foreign policy, now back to the old world, but of course straight to the Vatican, perhaps the truest foreign policy in a way. Michael wanting to see if he can get in there and somehow conquer that. But that is the crux of the issue that gets him involved because he's got to make billions off of this and all of his old gangsters, Altabello leading them, they want a piece. So Michael tries to buy them out. And most of them seem to be pretty happy. They have this scene in Atlantic City. He's handing out the checks. Gosh, how generous of you, Michael. And that's where Joey Zaza, of course, flees the room. Joey Zaza is going to try and pull a Michael and just take them all at one time. 
Yes, as you point out in his European ventures, he still has to face the mafiosi, the families who want in on the action because there's profit to be made. And on the other hand, there is this new danger because he has to face European politics where all these people involved with the Bank of Vatican are at least as cagey and corrupt as Michael himself. And in this case, they hold most of the cards. They're able to delay his taking over control mm -hmm. and thus keep him in danger without a firm foothold. And this also turns out to be his chance to go back to Sicily. He tries to seduce Kay in Sicily again and he's fairly successful yeah. up until murder pulls him back into action. His son sings Sicilian music, which reminds him of his first Sicilian trip and his first wife, who was assassinated, trying Apollonia. to get him in Sicily. Exactly. And he's reminded at the same time of the evils of Sicily, as he realizes how difficult his deal with the Cardinals is going to be and how much corruption there is in the corridors of power. He gives one of his most Machiavellian statements. He says... This land has always produced these guys for hundreds of years. These people are the true mafia. <laughs> yes. These people who are corrupt without seeming so, but in fact seem quite holy. And yes. he understands that somehow they are the cause of backwardness. Here he speaks that he's most American. He's actually thinking of taking over the corporation and doing business. He's a very successful businessman. That's Maybe right. he can never wash the blood from his hands, not even in the modern world of commerce. But he does know whereof he speaks, and he speaks as an American enemy of European intrigue and backwardness. Yeah. That is to say, the domination by a backward, oppressive elite that is concealed and conceals its own evil behind the sacred. That's right. He has this great speech at the shareholders meeting before they take the vote for him to buy it out as to his reasons for wanting to take this large share of the Mobileri Corporation. And he speaks for far too long, Europe and America have been divided in cross purposes. But here I am, this American, albeit of Sicilian origins, he's going to bring something American. Now, you might think to a certain extent he would have been chastened a bit by his Cuban forays and his failures. there. But of course, Europe is not Cuba. And so he does come to find out that his attempt to Americanize this European institution is going to run up against its own criminal intrigue that uh, at first catches him unaware. The Archbishop of New York, he knows he's dealing with a corrupt guy here, but he thinks he can just buy him out. He doesn't realize that the Archbishop is in cahoots with these European businessmen and church figures. Yes, and he runs into problems again and again, and this must eventually fail. And you see that he's not able to overcome his Sicilian roots. He, without realizing it, has come to Sicily for the tragic conclusion that is necessary to his story. Mm -hmm. He is never going to be let go by the families because they have too much of a past. Mm -hmm. And part of trying to have Vincent as his successor, even though he's nowhere nearly as experienced and sophisticated as he has to be, is to do with trying to save his family, that is to say his daughter Mary. And here the strange quality, the moral realism mm. of the story shows up in ways it hadn't in the previous movies. That The girl, of course, falls in love with Vincent, partly because she has been so sheltered. She has been given a very American life, protected from any of the dangers that the ethnic Sicilian Corleones had faced throughout the generations. But partly because the same reason she loves her father. 
Vincent is very mm-hmm. much like Michael, and as she loves and admires her father, she can't help but love and admire him too. Yeah. You have kissing cousins here. There's more than a hint yeah. of incest because the family is falling back on its own resources. There's nobody left. At the same time, Michael makes it clear to Vincent that he has to give up the girl if he wants to be Dawn. Now, this partly seems to be a personal desire to save his daughter from the horror that he has perpetrated throughout his life. But partly it's something Mm -hmm. else. It is the truth about politics. It's anti-erotic. And Vincent accedes to Mm -hmm. this command without much difficulty, just like he had no problem telling the reporter in his bed, yeah, sure, I love you. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. His eyes are always on the prize. And it's not this girl. It's the Corleone family and being the dawn. And in the latter Sicilian act, we see just how cold and calculated he is, how efficient, and how well he steps into the role of godfather. He exudes danger and threat to life and limb. He is cold and brings death in his way, just like Michael. There's a bit of Shakespeare that's been on my mind watching these movies. The most obvious thing is that Michael and his daughter Mary are like King Lear and his Cordelia. Mm -hmm. They have a true love for each other, which is shocking given how much killing and danger there is in politics. And nevertheless, they both must die. The family cannot escape its fate. The death of Mary is actually predicted by the murders that her aunt Connie perpetrates and her helping of Vincent. Connie in Godfather Part 2 was destroying herself to humiliate Michael, rejecting his control of the family. Whereas now she begins to help him and she turns murderous herself. This is, of course, par for the course in Sicily. There's a lot of intrigue, Mm -hmm. and that will include female treachery. There are no American sensibilities here. But there is also something else happening. This presages that Mary will not be able to get out of the family business. The family Mm -hmm. is no longer separated between men who do dirty things and women who are protected in a house where they deal with children in the household. So, uh, Michael, once you're in the new family business of this foundation charitable philanthropic giving. She is aware of the origins of her family, but it's a vague awareness. She knows the stories, but she's been raised by Kay, as has Anthony, but she sees her father. He's this wealthy, successful businessman, and all that stuff is in the past, and she's been, I think, quite insulated. And so it's no wonder then that when Vincent shows up, she has this attraction to him, despite the fact that she's his cousin. We're never really quite sure how far this relationship goes when they have the make noki scene. But from Vincent's position, then you would think that this being Michael's daughter, let alone his cousin, he would have some caution here. Yet he plays with her and even Michael tells him no and he continues to be with her. And he he gives it up easily, I think you're correct to say, but only after the position of the Don being able to assume the name Corleone has merged. Prior to that, I don't think he's serious with her necessarily, but he surely toys with her and she falls in love with him. And I think understandably, because she can find out about her past that she hasn't known. And just because there's something naturally attractive to him, the old Sonny Corleone way. Yes, And you get to see a bit of what might have driven Kay into the arms of Michael back Mm -hmm. when he was a young man. There is something attractive about these men. They have certain powers and talents, and they're just handsome enough. Mary, who is such an innocent girl, nevertheless has a certain ambition, and you could say that she gets to live out some of the stories she has heard. They do have family mythology sessions in their discussions. Vincent talks up both Michael and Sonia as the old brothers and flat out denies that Michael, in fact, killed Fredo. Right. 
Partly that's why Mary is so attracted to these old stories. They have been sanitized. They're more yeah. heroes than villain now. You say she's almost compelled to fall in love with the young version of her father because she can't admit to the ugly truth about her real father. That's right. Well, you see, Vincent tells her Sonny was, as she pointed out, the prince of the city. And regarding her father, he's a great man. Save the family. And of course, regarding Fredo, no, it didn't happen. He didn't kill Fredo. Of course, this is told when she's visiting Vincent. So she's the one who descends from her penthouse apartment or wherever it is she is back to the old neighborhood. And there's several scenes. She's the one who's going back to the old neighborhood to see Vincent and to find out about this history. So to bring in more Shakespeare, just like Michael and Mary have a relationship like King Lear and Cordelia, where they're true love for each other given the dangers and uh, unerotic requirements of politics lead to both of them having to die, Mm -hmm. so also the relationship between Vincent and Mary is a lot like Othello and Desdemona. Mm. It doesn't matter what the plot says, these people are going to end up in a bad way, if not tragic, because she loves him for his dangerous manliness, whereas he loves her in his curious way because she's so innocent. He can't be the sort of man that she's so attracted to if he gives up all the ugly, dangerous stuff. He only got an entrance into her world, like Othello in Venice, because he's a murderer. (laughs) <laughs> Not because he's a pure man or a nice guy. And so also with her. And uh, the story. He, if, yes, so. if she learns the truth about him, if he stops telling her lies about her father, how is he going to love her anymore? Yes. She's not going to be innocent. She's going to have to be like her aunt, a murderess. And so her murder at the end in her innocence is fitting in that way because I guess we only see her as this innocent young woman who is driven by her love, her love for her father, her love for Vincent. Could she have made that transformation that Connie had made? Connie is the voice of the old ways to Michael that he has to pay attention to. She's even more ruthless than Michael in certain respects. She introduces a new female form of treachery, murder by poison in your food. (laughs) This had not been done in The Godfather because it's unmanly. Yes, yes. And you're right that Mary couldn't turn into that. She can't be corrupted that way. But she must be destroyed because she cannot redeem by her love her family. Yeah. And of course, she must be She asks her father, am I just a puppet head in this foundation? Yes, honey. Yes, you are. Yeah. 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 She has to be destroyed also because Michael truly does see her as his treasure. Her destruction really brings him to the depths. You know, those final scenes, all you have is Pacino's mouth and nothing coming out of it. His story has been destroyed of what he wanted. And he has been replaced by a man who's not going to spend much time with him. He's just a babbling, destroyed old man. This is another bit of Shakespeare, the relationship between the Corleone family and Vincent, the up-and-comer, very much recalls the history play King John, where a bastard uh, has to enter into the royal family, and he's the one who says, in at the door or at the window, however (laughs) way he got in is in. It doesn't matter to him whether he does things the respectable or all right way, he wants to acquire... So also Vincent, he wants to be the new Corleone. Well, actually, comes to think of it, this is quite serendipitous. In King John, the bastard is a bastard of Richard Lionheart, Cordelion. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a good joke. (laughs) That's really good, yes. These characters, they are actuated by tragic necessities. They speak to the character and to the circumstances. Vincent, however, I don't have an example for him from a Shakespearean tragedy, but from a Shakespearean history. And at least some of those end up with a happy end. 
because mm -hmm. the requirements are less stringent. That's why Vincent disappears at the end. He fails to protect Michael, he fails to protect Mary, but you know, that's no skin off his nose, actually. It's their yeah, tragedy, right. and he can step off into a future as a dawn. Yes, Strange, yes. and in a way cynical, but it's true, because he's way more American than they are. He doesn't really belong in Sicily. There's nothing for him there. Mary's gone, and of course, Michael's going to be gone, and you have these billions of dollars in foundation money. Vincent is totally unsuited to the dispenser of charitable funds. He doesn't have those things that allowed Michael to achieve that position. Vincent has that kind of more direct fighting manner. What is going to become of this estate? It will just surely deplete itself. But where is Vincent? What is Vincent really going to do with it? That's true. All he can be is really a Corleone criminal. He can't be as extravagant in his ambitions to be charitable, conqueror of Europe, applauded yeah. by the Vatican. Those things don't work for Michael. They can't even be tried by Vincent. But maybe he can be a successful gangster when once he accepts his limits in a way Michael never could. Yeah. There's just much less conflict, for example, between Vincent and women than there was between Michael and his wife. Well, well uh, wives, actually. You know, I mean, Michael seems to be quite intent in both parts one and two of getting married and of having children. It doesn't really seem to be any concern for Vincent. You know, as a bastard, he's had to raise himself and to assert himself in his own position, perhaps much like Vito coming off the boat. Yes, he has this family, and yes, they take him in, and yes, they transmit it to him. But what had been built up is not something that he has any appreciation for or care for or maybe even the understanding of. I just wonder what that money in Vincent's hands, what is it going to do? Yeah, it doesn't seem like a tragic story on the same scale. He wouldn't have his own story except as a new Michael in that context. You're right that he doesn't have this future ahead of him, but on the other hand, he doesn't get a tragic story because he doesn't have the same ambitions. He wouldn't be concocting yeah. these plans. He can't reach out for respectability, can't therefore yeah. attract the attention of America, so to speak, and deserve the character of a tragic hero. And that's yeah. partly because he's so Americanized. He's not a family man in his youth. No. He's unlike Michael and Vito in previous generations, or Sonny or all the others. That's so right. that's over. There is a new dawn, but some things have changed. Yeah, I think it is Michael's story. We see this movement, but it really is the conclusion and tragic end of Michael is what's really going on here. Because whatever it was that he had built, this is going to be dead. Of course, he dies in the very last seed. You think of Michael's rise, and then he meets his limits in Cuba and the U.S. Congress and, and elsewhere, and yet is able to achieve this abstract status, abstract wealth that's bloodless, and that can be used for, at least on the surface, charitable purposes or even holy purposes. And this whole Vito Andalini Corleone Foundation, which points back to the past, and then, of course, Sicily, and then just Europe and the Vatican in general, and they're pointing back towards Sicily. We end where we began. And yes. this, this is a failure for him as well. What is it that's motivating him to, apart from his old age, this retrospective, his father and to the old world and to somehow conquer it, make it his own, that fails. But then that's where he ends up. It seems he realizes that his great American dreams of overcoming the past have failed. The film is, in a certain sense, prophetic about our times. What if the old world comes back to poison and destroy the new world? What if America is not that safe with two oceans keeping it apart from the rest of the world? What if the dreams of the new world and the development of individualism and the democratic equality don't lead to a bright new future and people aren't, in fact, happy and confident? 
all these nightmares surface, all sorts of things that had been irrelevant before, living on imagination, piety for the past, music, as you pointed out, all of these things are much more important now. And they seem to be, at the same time, sophisticated and corrupt. Signs yes. of grandeur, but also signs of sickliness and death. Think of the John Adams quote, that is a, a progress, yet the Godfather's pointing to it, circling back, there's a cyclic element but there has to be an end to this. And that's where you have to see Michael. Time is going to catch up to him, of course, as it does with everyone. But his ambitions can only go so far. And once again, he's by himself alone. Yes, and everything that Vito Corleone and everything that Michael himself wanted has been wasted. A lot of wealth has been created, and that's all American. But everything else, everything they brought with them as hopes and ideals of a good life, it's over. There may be a new future and a new cycle with Vincent, but it will be different. That's right. Here we have more of a street hood, in a way, who relies on his own just native talents. And he doesn't have the familial attachments or the attachment to the old world that Michael had. Yet now he's endowed with millions of dollars. I guess that's a cowboy capitalism. Francis Ford Coppola famously said this movie had something to do with developments in capitalism. Yes. Well, this brings us to our conclusion. I would, in the end, like to defend Sofia Coppola, who was panned because yes. of nepotism and because she was a bad actress. She doesn't do a good performance. That's true. But if you think about the character, how clueless and innocent she has to be, bad acting is required for the part, whether from a good or a bad actress, because mm -hmm. that is what all the other Corleones have, the ability to lie to your face and maybe murder you without you realizing it. They're all yes. supreme actors, deceivers, and she's the opposite of that. She's sleepwalking through a nightmare. That's right. And there you see again that Cordelia-like purity of her love as she's shot dead blood on her stomach. She just says, Dad? And she did that well. The, yes. the performance is very persuasive in that sense. I would agree. There's a scene where they're having breakfast in his penthouse apartment of course, I went into this remembering all the criticisms of her performance. It's just uh, Sofia Coppola, Mary, and Michael having breakfast, and she's asking, am I just front for this? Was there something else going on I don't know about? No doubt about it. She read those lines at the flattest. It, there was no acting going on there. Everybody else is acting. Yep. Re she's reading lines, and yet that makes her, I think you're right. It's fitting for her character and her position in this story in a way that if she had been more whatever it is that actors bring to it, the method acting, I guess, because Lee Strasberg was in part two or whatever the techniques that she could have brought, I don't think it would have been as effective. So I don't have a problem with her in the movie. Yeah, there's certainly something endearing there, and it's worth pondering something else, why she was spanned for a bad actress. We want at some level to be seduced as sophisticated audiences of these great yeah. movies by evil people these great actors who act yeah. their deceptions and she couldn't do that but it's a good reminder it's a good placement of where the godfather is to real life and it's especially good for godfather part three for the conclusion to show you that there is a moral standard and there are moral experiences against which you judge events and they lead to this conclusion people also didn't like the movie for that reason how screwed up it is that you can't sort of secretly admire the evil Corleone anymore. It has removed the attractions from evil. Yeah, don't get seduced to this. That's right. I think that's a really good point. Where you think of the audience that wishes they could carry on this to sequel after sequel, Godfather, you know, XX or something like that. It doesn't need to end. And no, don't get too seduced in this. Right? Yes. 
Well, John, we have come to the conclusion of our own trilogy of podcasts on the Godfather trilogy. Thanks again for joining me. I'm glad we got through all of this, and I hope we have shown just how much both the structures and the details in the stories reward attention. And let's do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it immensely. It was a pleasure, John. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.